This episode of The Living Yoga Show was brought to you by the Living Yoga Society's Outreach Project, dedicated to serving the community and providing yoga and spiritual life coaching to people in deep life-changing experiences, including PTSD, cancer, anxiety, depression, birth, and end-of-life transitions. To add your heartbeat to this outreach project, go to livingyogasociety.org slash donate and follow the link to patreon.com or PayPal. Hello, and welcome to the Living Yoga Show. I'm Shivani, and together with my co-host Param Jodi, we will explore the teachings of yoga, its techniques, philosophy, and take a look at how it can be applied to our everyday life. So, here we go. Hi, my name is Shivani and welcome to The Living Yoga Show. Today's podcast is called Modern Yoga Ancient Roots and I'm here with the lovely co-host Chaitanya. Hi everybody, how you doing? And today we're going to be talking about the five paths of yoga and the eight limbs of yoga as prescribed by Patanjali. Chaitanya, can you name the five paths of yoga? Yeah, I can. Okay, good. Okay. Go. Uh, Ashtanga. Bikram, hot yoga, uh, Iyengar. No, 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 no. Whoa, back up. What? No, 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 no. No, that they, they are not paths. Oh my goodness. Okay, what? they they are not paths of yoga. Okay, all of those are from Hatha yoga. They are different lineages and different teachers of the style of Hatha yoga. And Hatha yoga is the path. Oh. oh, okay, okay then. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Hatha yoga. Ha literally means sun and ta means moon. So the path of hatha yoga is about balancing the solar and lunar energies within yourself. In the nadis, we call these pingala and ida, but that's another day. The solar and the, and the lunar energies within yourself so that when those two join and balance... Shashumna, or the path up the spinal column, uh, awakens and the energy leads to a state of samadhi or highest meditation or union with the divine. We call that yoga, union, unity, right? Oh, well, I'm glad that you said that because people say, oh, so you do hatha yoga? And I'm like, ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I do do it. Okay. Okay, so that's hatha yoga. And then another one of the paths is karma yoga. Now, you know all about karma yoga. Sure do. Right? Because that's what we do here a lot of the time. Karma yoga being mindfulness uh, in action, about 100% effort in your um, actions, but without any attachment to the fruits of that labor, bringing yourself into a a moving meditation. We went into that in a, a little bit of depth in the first podcast, so if you haven't heard that one yet, check that one out. That's called Why Yoga. It was our very first podcast last week. So that is karma yoga. So that's an entire path of yoga, is the perfection of the practice of karma yoga. And uh, then the third one, and these are not in a hierarchy. These are not in any particular of lowest to highest order. These are paths. They're not uh, steps on a ladder. I'm glad you said mindfulness because I find my mind go blank when I'm doing the karma yoga. I really enjoy doing the job. I love right. it. Because the I get action, to do the things, whatever action you're whatever in. Whatever the action I'm in. Yeah. Sometimes when I get asked to do something, I get a little grumpy inside. Well, yeah, that would be called your ego. Right. Right. But it's 
and I have that's to. That's what karma yoga purifies. It purifies your ego. Yes. Yeah. That's the part that gets me. That gets uh-huh. me itchy. And is that why you're wearing a yellow T-shirt today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that right? Yes. <laughs> well, um, yellow is money put a chakra, which is karma yoga, which is the mind, which is the ego, which is self worth. Yes. Anger, frustration. It's all part of the belly digestion of the present moment. Yes. Yeah. That, but but when I get to do the any of the stuff. The, the things that we're doing, working with the rocks, yeah. planting the plants, uh, working with the animals is, yeah. is blissful out here. It's, it's totally. really nice to immerse yourself into. Yeah, that thing when you get asked to do stuff, you're like, mm. <laughs> I don't really like that. Is that what you're like? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're getting to know me now. <laughs> um, so we have, we got Hatha Yog, Karma Yog. And we, then we have Gyan Yog. Gyan Yog is the path of knowledge. Um, and in the path of knowledge, it's kind of like peeling an onion. It's, it's self-study or Svadhyaya, where you peel back all that is not the divine until all that is left is the divine. And, and the main sort of practice of that is called Neti Neti. Neti Neti means not this, not this. I experience something. Is this divine? Neti Neti, not this, not this. Next experience. Is that divine? Neti Neti, not this, not this. Until you peel the essences, the essence, back until you sit in this, uh, in this, this bhav or this uh, attitude of oneness with everything. I like that MC Yogi song, Neti Neti. You oh, heard it? No, I haven't. Yeah, MC Yogi. Mm-hmm. I do like some of his other stuff, but I haven't heard Neti Neti. Yeah, that's a cool. good one. It's on, I can't remember the album's name, but yeah, it's the newer one. It's the newer one? Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um, so after Gyan Yoga or another one of the paths is Bhakti Yoga. Right. And of course, now in the West, Bhakti Yoga is um, kind of the poster child for Bhakti Yoga in the West is Krishna Das, who is amazing. And he is such a beautiful example of the teachings of yoga and the path of bhakti. And bhakti means devotion, being embodied in service to the foot of his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, or affectionately Maharaji. He's an absolutely delightful man. I love reading the stories about him and from uh, Ramdas, also, same lineage. Okay. And Kirtan is one of the biggest practices of Bhakti Yoga, where you sing the name of the divine into states of intimacy. I never knew the term intimacy until George Furenstein, his uh, translation of the Patanjali Sutras uses that word a lot. Because ecstasy is where something from the outside is being experienced into a very high state of bliss, whereas entity is about what you're experiencing actually coming forth from the inside. Um, the book that you've got me reading about Amachi, right? She's talking about repeating the mother's name over and over again mm-hmm. to bring bhakti into right? right to open the heart. But the practice of bhakti is a it's a game changer. When you start to have every action, every thought, every word out of your mouth being an offered to the divine and whatever your divine is, whether that's Jesus or um, Krishna or Muhammad or Allah, it doesn't matter what your aspect of the divine is. It's that there's a heart opening when you interact with that concept. So Bhakti Yoga and the fourth one. Yeah. What's the fourth one? Well, we've got Hatha, Karma, Gyan, Bhakti, and then Raja. Raja. 
Raja Yoga is the fifth path, but it's actually the accumulation of all the other four paths. So Raja Yoga is all of the other ones put together. And that's what we practice at Ishtadevniwas here, where we practice a little bit of everything. We have the Karma Yoga, we have our Hatha Yoga practices, we are in a constant self-inquiry of, of Gyan Yoga, and we have the Karma Yoga. Yeah, and then what, what was it that you said that gets us to Gyan Neti neti. Oh, okay. The, um, the peeling away of all that is not until all that is left is. And we're using hatha and bhakti and karma, karma to get to, it's a, it's to a, gyan? No, it's kind of more, it's, a, it's an integrative process, right? You can't, it's not just all one path until you get to the next one. It's a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that into a, a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. A little bit of heart opening, a little bit of mind strengthening, a little bit of physical purifying, a little bit of uh, right action. And then you go through the whole process again at a different level. And then you go through the whole process again at a different level. And <laughs> until, until, you know, you are where you are and you don't need to be anywhere else. So thinking about it. this is the five paths of yoga. So then Patanjali, do you know much about Patanjali? No. No? Not much, no. Not much? No. Okay. So I've prepared a little um, pre-recorded five-minute, ten-minute lecture about Patanjali and the eight limbs of yoga. So let's have a listen to that, and then if you have any questions at the end, we can chat about it. Okay. Sounds good. Yes. Okay, so one of the most widely known titles of ancient yogic texts is the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. Now, in the book, The Unadorned Thread of Yoga by Salvatore Zambito, in this foreword by his guru, Swami Veda Bharati, he states, and I quote, the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali is the basic text of yoga theory and practice. Gradually, students are being drawn irresistibly to it. At present, many people can do all kinds of twists and poses, but without the essential spiritual awareness. This form of yoga has proved beneficial and helpful, otherwise it would not have become so popular. However, the true foundation of yoga is to be found in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. The date of this great sage, Patanjali, cannot be ascertained. From the point of view of modern Western scholarship, it could be a text composed around 4th century AD. The Indian tradition places it far away antiquity of the age of the Rishis. Regardless, Patanjali's 196 statements completely and competently summarize the entire theoretical and applied fields of yoga. End quote. So in this text, Patanjali talks about the eight limbs of yoga and the Eight limbs in Sanskrit is Ashtanga. Now in the West, we know Ashtanga as a vigorous series of postures or asana. But asana is actually only one of the eight limbs as prescribed by Patanjali. There's seven other aspects of yoga that are make up what actually is Ashtanga yoga. So the first of these eight limbs of yoga as prescribed by Patanjali is the yamas or universal morality. They're about how one interacts with the outside world. These yamas are split up into five aspects. I'm going to name all five, but our plan is for the next seven podcasts to actually go through each limb of yoga as prescribed by Patanjali in the eight limbs of yoga 
uh, one at a time. So we'll go into it in much more depth. So the first yama is ahimsa, which traditionally and simplistically is considered nonviolence. Satya is the second, which is truthfulness. Astaya, or abstinence from theft and honesty. The fourth is brahmacharya, being established in divine consciousness, traditionally translated as celibacy or abstinence from sexual acts, but that's not quite accurate, which we'll get into at a later date. And the fifth one is apahigraha, or non-possessiveness, or abstinence from greed. These make up the five yamas, or universal moralities. Then we come from the outside world and we move further inside to the niyamas or the personal observances within our lifestyle. So still connected to the outside world, but within the context of how we interact with ourselves rather than with others. The first of the niyamas is saucha or purity. The second is santosha, contentment. The third is tapas, or disciplined use of energy for the spiritual fire. Svadhyaya is self-study, and I cannot express nearly enough how svadhyaya is such an important aspect of yoga in our day-to-day life. To be able to witness our thoughts, our actions, our emotions, our behaviors, and to use them for a basis of an inquiry rather than haphazardly stumbling from one experience to the next. The fifth of the niyamas is Ishvara Pranidhana, or celebration of the spirit, to lay all your actions at the feet of the divine. This makes the five niyamas, or personal conduct. The third limb, which we all know in the West, is what most people think yoga actually is, is body postures. Asana means the seat, so really the whole purpose of practicing asana is to be able to sit. To be able to sit for a long enough time so that our mind will settle into the frequency and the state of meditation. Pranayama, the fourth limb of yoga, is breathing exercises. Although pranayama is not technically about the breath, it's about the control of the energy body or prana, pranayama. The control of prana, though, is most easily accessible through a conscious awareness of the breath. So we often think of pranayama as breathing exercises, but it's a little bit more than that. The fifth limb is pratyahara, or control of the senses. So it's, it's the pivotal point in our process where we draw our awareness from the senses from the outside world so that we can conserve that energy to be able to turn it around and project that energy into uh, experiencing higher frequencies or subtler frequencies, which leads to dharana, the sixth limb of yoga, which is concentration and cultivating inner perceptual awareness. This takes a lot of energy, which is why the pratyahara, the stage before it, is being able to use the energy of the senses to then use it in concentration. The seventh limb is dhyana, devotion or meditation on the divine. The state of meditation is not something we do. In fact, the thought of doing meditation is a bit of an oxymoron. We practice meditational techniques, but to actually be in a state of meditation by definition is non-doing. 
as soon as you are doing it, you are no longer doing it, if you know what I mean. And the eighth limb of yoga is samadhi. Samadhi meaning union with the divine. So samadhi, it's a topic that is very nuanced. And at a beginner's level, I think it's really important that we understand that it's there and that merging with consciousness is something that can be attained within the human experience. However, the nuances of it, I'm going to be straight up. I do not consider myself to ever have personally experienced it, and therefore I'm not particularly comfortable talking about it. So samadhi, form or formless, is something we're going to cover at another day. But this is the eighth limb of Patanjali's yoga. That was my little introduction to Patanjali and the eight limbs of yoga and how that fits in with the path of Hatha yoga. So what did you think? I thought it was very interesting, but I'm a little confused because we're starting with asana, the, it's the third limb, so. Right. Of You yoga. mean in the, in the West? In the West, yeah. Yeah, we jumped to number three. <laughs> we, we like in the West to sort of get a bit ahead of ourselves. It's always bigger, more, faster, right? When I asked my teachers about why in the West have we started with the third limb, it was explained to me that in the, the societal uh, mindset in the West is, is for physical health. We don't really understand or we're only just beginning to understand the intricacies between physical, emotional, and mental health. And when we're just um, focused on the physical, we you know, want a smaller waistline, we want a smaller butt, we want bigger arms, you know, we, we want to do it because it makes us feel good, not because it's a lifestyle that brings us into balance as evolving human beings, right? So we've started there, but if you probably noticed that when you start doing uh, more intermediate or advanced courses or teacher trainings on yoga in the West, you do, you go back to and start at the yamas again. Um, and it's quite humbling to sort of feel like you're going, well, I'm started at number three and now I'm going back to number one. But it's it's um, extremely necessary because in the in the East, it used to be that when you went to a, a guru or an ashram, you said, please teach me yoga. They would say, here's the yamas and the yamas. Go home. Learn how to integrate these principles into your life when you feel like you have succeeded in that, come back and we will start to teach you asan. Or you would stay in the ashram for five, ten years and before you did any asan, you would stay and you would purify mind through karma yoga and learning the yamas and niyamas and how to embody these things. These are actually extremely uh, uh, integral tools to the path of yoga. I remember going to your classes, the by donation classes at first. And I remember getting angry when I was in certain poses. Mm -hmm. I was comparing myself to other people and I would feel angry because I couldn't quite do the pose right. I remember going through those emotions mm -hmm. and having studied the yamas and niyamas, I think would have helped me understand the the reason why I was angry or totally and that's a really integral part to the western yoga teachers or asana facilitators where if you are bringing the class into a posture say for example a twist right and 
you're you're activating Manipura chakra within this twist, and in this twist is the characteristics of heat and anger and self-worth and contentment and service and right action. And so you say, you know, in this twist, you may be experiencing uh, heat, you may experience uh, irrational frustration, you may feel like you're not doing it good enough, you may be overcome with deep sense of contentment. Just try and witness these experiences without buying into them, without identifying with them, so that uh, understanding that in this posture, in this gesture of this twist, that is the energy that's starting to move, that is the prana that's starting to move. So I think we have a duty in the West to start integrating these aw higher awarenesses of what the medicine and the posture is doing so that people in the class, like your experience, aren't identifying with, oh, that posture made me angry. That posture didn't feel good. I wasn't good enough to do that posture. And then they, they stop coming, but they don't realize that what they were experiencing was actually showing them the medicine of the posture that they were in. So they're actually doing it correctly. Right. And yeah. moving energy. And, yeah, and moving so energy. Say, oh, I can't stand that downward dog. Right? It's hard. <laughs> it, it is. It is quite a challenging posture. And, and we need to be able to witness. The discernment of witness is such a foreign concept in the West that is is really the very first principle to learn as yogis is to watch, to witness, to to observe yourself, your world, your experience, your responses, your reactions. And uh, yeah, I think that, that that's key. Start. And a good start, <laughs> right? The yamas and niyamas. The yamas and niyamas and how that, those are followed by the rest of the practices. And I think if we can get really solid on that, it, uh, it's Just a wonderful foundation. West. Yeah. Just here in the West, yeah. Exactly. Those three... three bottom limbs right of the eight exactly well thank you so much for joining me today i hope you've had a good time always always <laughs> always all right well we'll talk to you again soon have a nice day if you enjoyed this podcast be sure to subscribe share it with your friends on facebook and feel free to donate a dollar at livingyogasociety.org slash donate Oh,